the National Archives podcast series, Tracing Your Ancestors, a case study featuring the Darwin family, presented by Jerry Toop. Well, welcome to this afternoon's talk, Tracing Your Ancestors, a practical case study. And what we're going to be doing is you've got to let your imagination run wild and you've got to imagine that my name is Darwin rather than Toop for the purposes of this practical case study. Okay, on your chairs, uh, you should have found uh, various handouts and things. What's on a queue booklet? This uh, lists all our Tuesday and Thursday talks for the next three months, February through to April. We've also got beginners talks every Saturday, but on the basis of the number now of talks, we can't fit them all on the booklet. So what I would say on that is, have a look on our website. It'll tell you what the titles of the talks and what have you. And as I say, they're mainly beginners talks. Um, you'll also have an ancestors flyer. Um, the talks are actually sponsored by Ancestors magazine, which is the National Archives monthly magazine, uh, family, military, history, that type of uh, thing, magazine, with lots of interesting articles in it, written by uh, world experts in, not necessarily National Archives staff, but in some cases, yes. Um, the ticket you've actually got, it wasn't collected on the door. If you want to save yourself a massive sum of 50 pence and fancy buying an Ancestors uh, edition, downstairs after with a ticket, and the shop will give you 50 pence off an edition of Ancestors magazine. Now, if that's not an incentive, I don't know what is. Yes? Okay. Also on your um, chairs, talks and lecture feedback form, what you thought of the talk, no rude answers, what you would like to see as possible future talks, and if we can find people to speak on those subjects, we'll do so. And then two other things. One, one is a useful website for family history, seeing as this talk's all about family history and what have you. Um, it's got lots of the more popular websites. There are loads and loads more, but uh, these are the more popular ones, and we'll be looking at all of those. And then also, all that's up on the screen um, is on this handout here. Okay. I'll turn these pages over as I go along. Right. When I first started doing my family tree, back in, way back in 1977, and as you may be able to tell, I've got a bit of a Welsh accent, been away from the Principality now over 36 years, delved into my family background, and to my shock and horror, I discovered that my ancestors were English. <laughs> I'd actually got the family line back to 18, before 1837, and then had to go down to the appropriate county record office, and uh, from census records and so on, I discovered they came from Wiltshire, whereas I come from South Wales, Glamorgan in South Wales. Um, so I, I just want to tell you a little joke as we, we sort of start off. Um, you've got to imagine that um, you've delved into your family background, you've looked, uh, got a, a few certificates, you've looked at census records, and to your shock and horror, you discover that your ancestors are Welsh. So you've got them back to before, before 1837, and you now need to look at parish registers at the appropriate county record office. So you get into a car, and you drive down to and as you approach the town, as you well know, with lots of towns, they have a sign uh, with the spelling of the town on the outskirts. So one of you has a go trying to pronounce that. And perhaps because you're not Welsh, although there's a hell of a lot of Welsh people, I can't pronounce that either. Um, it may well be with this podcast, a lot of people in the Principality are now cringing at my own pronunciation. But if I say fast enough, then perhaps I won't go, won't go wrong. So, so you try saying in the car, you get tongue-tied, and the other person is sitting next to you say, you're hopeless at saying that. So you say, oh, no, I'm not. Have you not been to pantomime? The people who were in here before, last month, they'd have just been, obviously, been to pantomime for Christmas, New Year, and they were with it. Anyway, so you say to that person, well, if you think you could do any better, you have a go. So you have a go at trying to pronounce it, and you make a mess of it as well. So you say to the person, there we are, I told you I was better than you, and you said, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> well done, you're really getting into the string of it now. Okay, anyway, so it develops, it gets, gets a bit heated, almost develops into... An argument. So one says to the other, right, we park the car, it's lunchtime anyway, we'll pop in for something to eat and we'll ask one of the locals um, who's the best. So park the car, they go into this place, go up to the, up to the um, counter 
and the lady at the counter says, can, you can I take your orders, please? And you say, well, in a moment you can, but before we place our orders, we'd like you to try and solve a problem. We're having a bit of difficulty with them. They say, well, I can't promise anything. I'll try my best. Well, what's the problem? Um, so you say to the lady, can you tell us very slowly this place that we're in? And she says, Burger King. <laughs> okay. No apologies for that joke. On to tracing your answer. So what are we going to be actually looking at? Anybody recognise this picture? The Waltons. Well done. The Waltons. I remember once asking who each one was and all the rest of it and who the dog was and everything, but I give up on that because people only knew one or two, so I thought, right, forget it. So how to start your research, we're going to be looking at that very briefly. And then we've got a step-by-step -step case study uh, using some of the most important websites for family history. As time progresses, more and more stuff's going online, so this becomes more and more important. So how to start your research. These are things you should be doing when you're setting out. Assemble all the information you can from relatives. Gather together or take copies of all the available birth, marriage and death certificates for family members, if that is possible. Or ask for the approximate dates of birth, marriage and death. Talk to as many relatives as possible, including the elders. They've been around longer. They should remember the most, but not always is the case. My memory's terrible. I can remember things I did in the office back in the 1980s and things on records and things that are up here, but I can't remember something that my wife might have said to me 15 minutes earlier. And that's true. I don't know whether that's selective memory or not. Anyway, as far as talking to as many relatives as possible is concerned, they will all have information... Some they'll readily tell you, although they may be reluctant with revealing certain events. I remember years ago when I was a young boy, um, my auntie got to the ripe old age of 50, and then a few months later, my grandparents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. Now, nothing was ever said. We thought, ooh, <laughs> and only then did it twig. So there could be things in your family line which um, members of the family may not want to sort of divulge, but during the course of your research, you may uncover stuff. Make comprehensive notes. So that's just a few little pointers, and I'm sure you've all done that already, because I'm sure you are well on the way with your family trees. Currently, you should be aiming for 1911. The 1911 census was released a few weeks ago. All of a sudden, not a lot of people knew about it. It was a soft launch. Uh, whereas the 1901, everybody knew it was going to come out on the 2nd of January 2002, and we were absolutely bombarded at the Family Records Centre, and as many people will know, maybe in this room and maybe worldwide, it crashed. Um, so I'm a member of the Darwin family, I've spoken to older members of my family, and I am told that within my family line, I've got, a, I've got a, an ancestor by the name of George Darwin, who was born about 1845, 1846-ish, and he was quite a well-to-do uh, chap. He was a professor at Cambridge. And uh, they couldn't tell me much more than that. All they said also was his name was George Howard Darwin. So you could do a bit of preliminaries, maybe try and find maybe his death, uh, how old he was, and therefore get a rough age, uh, a date of birth on that. But what I'm keying into this, keep it simple. There's lots of boxes to fill in, and there's a great temptation to fill every box in. There is a, uh, a three-letter word, three, three words, less is more. Less boxes in, filled in, more results. Sounds like a contradiction. How can less be more? Less boxes filled in produce more results. So keep it to the bare minimum. So what we're putting in here is George Darwin. First name George, last name Darwin. Year of birth, 1846, and give or take a couple of years. You don't have to necessarily put other information in, like where perhaps he was living, where perhaps he was born, and all the rest of it. Get a little flavour, first of all, um, as to how many results there's going to be. What you can do with 1911 also, which you can't do with the others, you can put the second Christian name in. Because the 1911 census, the first ones, where the actual original census returns filled in by the head of the house, have actually been kept and are digitised. And that's what you actually see when you see an image, as we'll see in a minute. So if you're the head of the house, you're going to put, if you're, you're called George Howard Darwin, you're going to put your name down as George Howard Darwin. If you, with the other censuses, give the information 
to an enumerator, you might put George Howard Darwin down, but when the enumerator transfers the information into the census enumerator as books, he might not write George Howard Darwin, he might only just put George Darwin. Or if he can't write, he'll ask you what your name is, and then you say, George, well, my name's George Darwin. And in which case, you may not have volunteered the second Christian name, hence it won't appear on the census. So bear that one in mind. Here's the returns. We've only got two George Darwins, born, well, in the old of England and Wales, born two years either side of 1846. We've got an 1848 entry there, um, living in the district of East Retford, Nottingham. And look what we've got down here. George Howard Darwin, straight away, the second name has been given because he's filled the returns in with his second Christian name, and the district given is Cambridge. At this point, you've got two options open to you. You can either view the transcript or you can view the original page. My advice to you would be view the original page. It's then the handwriting of the individual for you to see it with your own eyes and to make out what you make it out to be, not what someone has transcribed it as, which, okay, yes, might be right, but might also be wrong. If you actually go into the image itself, at the top there, you've got George Howard Darwin, head, 65, married, professor of astronomy at the University of Cambridge, born in Down in Kent. And then he will list everybody else that's in the house with him. Let's have a look at a closer version. Okay, George Howard Darwin. More Darwin, wife, 49, married. Now, this is what's brilliant by the 1911 census. Alongside the married woman's name will be how long they've been married, and in this case, 26 years. So that's a good pointer when you're actually looking for the marriage of the couple. Also gives the number of children born alive, which is five. Children still living at the time of the 1911 census is four, and one has died. Sometimes during research, you may only be able to find four of them and not the other one, so then you know, oh, there is another one. Um, and then you may have a time span of where to look as far as they are, the births are concerned. In fact, from the other census searches on the Darwins, only four of the five can be found. I haven't gone into looking for the fifth one. And then you've got Gwendolyn, Mary Darwin, 25. And then you've got um, Margaret Elizabeth Darwin, 21. And then you've got a visitor, Jacques-Pierre Raverat. In fact, Gwendolyn Mary Darwin marries him some time after the 1911 census. Advice would be also to you, check every single census, every census, 10 years, go back every 10 years, because if you just jump back, you miss lots of, you may miss, miss um, members of the family and all sorts of things. So what I'm going to be looking at now is the um, 1901 census. The search techniques are going to be similar. There we have on the 1901 census, George H. Darwin, 55, and he's a professor at uh, Cambridge, born in Down in Kent. Interestingly, his wife, Maud, she's 39 there, born in Chicago, USA, and then over in this column, you've got BS, which is British subject. And then you've got Margaret Elizabeth, William R., and then you've got a governess and other members of the family, and probably people going on to the next page as well. So 1891. This also gives you an idea of how old the eldest child is. Like for instance there, we've got Maud 39 in 1901, we've got Margaret E as 11. So are there any other children? She's 28 when Margaret E is born. Are there any other older children which would narrow down the time span when you're actually searching for the marriage? If you look at um, 1891, what do you have on there? is um, Gwendolyn M is age five, and Charles G is three, and Margaret E is one. So there were two other children born before Margaret E. So therefore, on the basis of um, Gwendolyn being five, five years from 1891 is 1886. So the marriage should be sometime before 1886. Ages would give you a sort of a clue as well. And then start searching for the, for the marriage. We'll have more of that in a moment. Well, in fact, on the basis of Maud being born in America, and this one in 1891, Illinois, USA, um, there's more than a good chance that the actual marriage took place in USA. Marriages of couples usually take place, 90, 95% of cases, in the bride's parish. Some of the ladies in here might uh, be able to say, yes, that's right, in my case, sort of thing. So it could well happen that they were married 
in America. In fact, they were. They were married in Pennsylvania, USA, on the 22nd of July, 1884. So as I say, do each census, and then you'll, uh, you'll um, accumulate more and more children and more and more information as you go along. Otherwise, you'll miss out. As far as the censuses for the Darwins are concerned, uh, we're going to come on to Charles H. Darwin, Charles Howard Darwin's father shortly, which is the infamous uh, Charles Darwin. More of that in a moment. But um, as far as the censuses are concerned for um, Charles Darwin and family, um, this is what it says. Charles Darwin's only at home in Downhouse near Bromley in Kent in two of the censuses. That was the family home, Downhouse in Kent. They're there in 1861 and 1881, but when the census was taken in 1841, he was visiting his Wedgwood cousins at Mayer in Staffordshire with his wife Emma and their two eldest children. While in 1871, the Darwins were staying with Charles's brother Erasmus in London. I'll show you the 1881 census in a moment. In 1851, the Darwin family was divided. Charles was in London with his brother. Emma and the younger children were at Downhouse, and the oldest boy, William, was staying with a vicar of Mitcham in Surrey, cramming for his public school entrance exams. The whereabouts of the two oldest daughters, Annie and Henrietta, is well documented. They were taken in the waters in Great Malvern, Worcestershire, where Annie tragically died on the 23rd of April, just 24 days after the census was taken. However, there is no list in there for the two girls or for their governess and nurse who are known to have been with them at the time of the census. It seems as though the census enumerator slipped up somewhere. So there are going to be cases where you won't find who you're looking for on the census. <coughs> More often than not, it's because of mistranscription, either of a Christian name, surname, age, place of birth, whatever it might be. Um, that is an extreme circumstance where someone is actually physically missing off the census as far as the enumerator's returns are concerned. So bear that one in mind. Don't take it that, oh, because I can't find my ancestors, you know, they were left off the census. More, of, more often than not, 99.9% .9 of cases, they're actually going to be there, but it's a matter of finding them. Here are the Darwins on the 1881 census. And there's George H. Darwin, age 35, and he's at home with his parents and brothers and sisters at Down House in Kent. There's the father, Charles Robert Darwin, and the mother, Emma Darwin, gives Charles Robert Darwin, age 72, born in Shrewsbury in Shropshire. That's quite difficult to say, isn't it? Shrewsbury in Shropshire. <coughs> You've got to get your tongue around that. <coughs> right down the bottom, there's lots of um, children of Charles and Emma Darwin. And right down the bottom, there's also nieces and cousins and quite a number of servants. And then right down the bottom, we've got Leonard Darwin, a son, unmarried, age 31, although at the beginning they had 31 in the female box rather than the male box, so the enumerator had made a mistake. And he's a lieutenant in the Royal Engineers, born in down in Kent. Why he's down here, we don't know. Normally census returns are sort of done, filled in on Sundays and things, so whether he came home on leave or whatever, turned up at the house late, and then, oh yes, uh, Leonard, because if you're not in the house on census day, you don't get included within the return, so it's possibly may have turned up late. One thing I would say to you, as far as putting more meat on the bones is concerned with uh, tracing your ancestors, is quite often occupations can lead you on to other sources. And in cases like uh, someone who was in uh, the army or whatever it might be, we've got a lieutenant in the Royal Engineers there. So if we wanted to find out a bit more about Leonard Darwin, we could actually check, check up um, him being a lieutenant in the Royal Engineers. And this is what I've done, just as a quickie for you. Um, there's a military service record for Leonard Darwin in WO 253914. It tells you when he was a lieutenant, then a captain, and then a major, and the dates <coughs> that he was promoted and so on. And then also on the other side, you've got the, the service where he was whether he was at home, whether he was overseas, or wherever he might have been. And then the fact that he did 19 years, 14 days total service, and he retired on the 18th of January, 1890, on a retirement pay of £200 a year, which is quite a lot of money then, isn't it? 1890, £200 a year. I wonder what that would be now if you were on that, that pension at today's prices. So it's a pretty good pension. 
Okay. What I want to take you on to now is searching for births. I didn't, what I would say to you is don't rush when you do any family tree. You can't rush. You rush, you make mistakes, and you get wrong certificates and all sorts. So don't rush. We could have way back there, once we'd found George Howard Darwin on the 1911 census, gone and looked for his birth straight away. But to make sure you get the right birth certificate, what I, what I did was, let's find him at home with his family first and maybe get his mother or his father. And therefore, on the basis of that, then we can know whether we've got the right certificate on the basis of knowing the mother or the father's names. This is a website, www.freebmd.rootsweb.com. If you're doing birth marriage death searches, and if you don't have to pay to get into these various websites to look up birth marriage death entries, only index entries, I would suggest to you that'll be a good starting point for EBMD. It's also available on the Ancestry website, www.ancestry.co.uk. And you can search on here for births, marriages and deaths from 1837 up to about 1929, not complete. But what has also recently happened on the Ancestry part of, uh, of this, you can actually now search births from 1837 right the way through by individual name. And this is only a recent thing. Um, on Ancestry, where it's got births 1984 or up to 2005, birth marriages and deaths, lower down the three choices and what to go in on. Go in on the 19... Um, 84 to 2005, and down the bottom there, you'll see you can actually do birth searches from 1916 onwards by individual name. This has been a recent thing. So coming back to uh, free BMD on this, I've selected births. I've selected Darwin and George, surname Darwin, first name George, and then the date range. I usually sort of put in a year of birth and a couple of years, a year or two years either side. What I've done in this one is I put 1844 through to 1846. You can put 43, 47. Turn up for me all the George Darwin entries. And what comes up are two entries. In September 1844, we've got a George Darwin in Sheffield. And in 1845, September, we've got a George Howard Darwin in Bromley. And it's got a volume and a page number there. Cast your mind back to the censuses. On the census, it said he was born in Down in Kent. Where's Down in Kent? Which registration district is it? Because all these that appear on these are registration districts. A birth, a marriage, or a death has to be registered at a register office and within a particular registration district. If you click on Bromley on there, Bromley will give you all the parishes that fall within Bromley. And you see where the arrow is pointing to. It's got Down. Down in Kent is in Bromley registration district. So if you didn't know the registration district, that's a useful uh, thing to do. The other thing I want to cast your mind back to is <coughs> when you've got a birth, marriage, or death coming up on FreeBMD, after the little red info box there, you've got a pair of spectacles. That means that there's a digitized image of the page of the birth index page. Never believe these until you see you with your own eyes. Everyone that's there, check it. I made uh, a mistake once, and I've never done it since. I learned by my mistakes. I hope you do. I didn't bother checking the page number, ordered the certificate, came back as a wrong reference, and I took it from FreeBMD. So every time since, I've always checked the original source. If you click on the spectacles and one or two other little uh, buttons, it will then take you into a digitized page of the birth entry, and you can then confirm whether 49 is in fact the page number or not. And then if it is, then order the certificate. There's the entry from the book as it was before, Fish now online, whatever you're doing, whichever website you're going in on to. George Howard Darwin, Bromley, volume five, page 49. And you can't argue with that. Here's a closer version of it. There, in case you're struggling. And then once you actually see that, you can then order the certificate. You can order by post, or you can order via www.gro.gov.uk It'll cost you £7. It'll cost you more if you order by post. There are forms outside to fill in. But personally, I wouldn't fill those in. They're three pages long. I won't say any more because we're, we're live. Somebody from the GRO might be listening in. Right, and there you get your certificate back sent out to you on the fourth working day. And you've got then got the date of birth, 9th of July, 1845. George Howard, son of Charles Robert Darwin. 
And then Emma, Darwin, formerly Wedgwood, mother's maiden names are crucial in family history research. And then Charles Darwin's occupation is gentleman. What's a gentleman? I never found out what he did on the censuses. It doesn't tell me what he did or anything. And he's actually the informant at the wedding. And you've got six weeks to register a birth. If you don't register a birth within six weeks, you get caught out, you get fined. The other thing to consider is if you've got a birth, say, mid-February or just after mid-February, and you can't find you in the March index, try the June one as well because they've got six weeks. So it could ru run into early April. So check that one out. A marriage happens on a day, and that's it. If it's 31st of March, it should be in the March quarter. Deaths, again, um, if the person has died due to unforeseen circumstances or suspicious circumstances on, say, the 31st of March, if there's a coroner's inquest, the death certificate wouldn't be issued until maybe a few days later. Again, with deaths, check the quarter in which they occurred, but also check the quarter after. Just a little bit of advice and guidance on that. Back to the census. We now know Charles Robert Darwin and Emma Wedgwood. We've got um, the birth. I'm going to go for the marriage shortly, but I'm not in a hurry. What I want to do now is look at an area of family history research that a lot of people neglect. All of us die. People neglect the fact that all their ancestors are passed away and neglect things like death certificates. And uh, sort of going on from there could be the individual made a will and so on. And wills are a fantastic genealogical source. So if we look at Charles Robert Darwin in 1881, he's aged 72. Occupation, MA, LLD, Cambridge, FRS, JP. Doesn't tell us what he did, is it? It's a doctor of law, master, fellow of the Royal Society, and a justice of the peace. So, use free BMD again, and try and find the death Charles Robert Darwin. I know he's alive in 1881, so you can put that in as a start date. Don't necessarily have to put an end date in. I just put down 1901 because I'm thinking if he's still alive, he's going to be alive into his 90s, but you don't need to put an end date in. And we come up with Charles Robert Darwin, age 73, Bromley, and the volume and the page number. And the, the, um, the age ties in quite nicely, doesn't it, with the 1881 census. So again, you could order the, um, the death certificate, order it by post or online via www.gro.gov.uk. If you're ordering the death certificate for a married woman, you can put down as a checking point when you're ordering the certificate, wife or widow of, and give the husband's name. Because on a married woman's death certificate, it always gives uh, whether she's the wife or the widow of and the name of the husband doesn't work for, for males. You can't put uh, husband uh, or widower of and then give the name of the wife. That doesn't uh, follow. But that's a little thing to bear in mind when you're ordering uh, death certificates for married women. There's the death certificate for Charles Robert Darwin. Uh, tells us what he died of. And the informant on that is Francis Darwin, a son. How does he fit into the equation? We shall um, find out in due course. What you can now do on the basis of a death certificate, there's a couple of things that can be done, but I'm going to save this up for, uh, for later for Charles's father because it's, uh, he, he's got a will, which is one of the wills belonging to our collection of wills in the National Archives. There's Charles Robert Darwin's um, will entry from a microfiche from uh, First Avenue House in Hoburn, although we've got the uh, microfiche ourselves from 1858 to 1943 only. And it's got the value of the state of over 148,000. Got the date of probate of the will, the 6th of June. Says the will of Charles Robert Darwin, late of Down near Beckenham in the county of Kent, Esquire, who died 19th of April 1882, and that should tally with the death certificate, which it does. At Down, as proved at the principal registry by William Erasmus Darwin of Southampton in the county of Southampton, Banker, and George Howard Darwin of Trinity College, Cambridge, in the county of Cambridge, Esquire, the sons, the executors. So quite often from these fish findings on, a, on a, a will entry, you get names of executors who could, uh, well, could quite well be members of the family. And years ago, these were more important, uh, William Erasmus Darwin of Southampton and George Howard Darwin of Trinity College, Cambridge, because 
pre-census online days, you had to go through things like microfilms, trundle through microfilms, anything. Anybody been in, in this game for long enough to remember that? And it may be that you wanted to find out about William Erasmus Darwin or George Howard Darwin, and these little things here could possibly be clues as to where they were. It could be that William Erasmus Darwin was in Southampton in 1881, although we know from the, um, the census copy for 1881 that he was actually at Down House. Uh, perhaps they were visiting on that weekend. And likewise with George Howard Darwin, he's not at Cambridge either, but he's in Down House in Kent. But if they weren't, they could well be clues as to where they were. And that was quite important, as I say, pre-census computer days. So there's Charles Robert Darwin, and there's Emma Darwin. The next step now to take this family line back further really would be to get the marriage of Charles Robert Darwin and Emma Wedgwood, which would then give us Charles Robert Darwin's father, it would give us Emma Wedgwood's father, and then take us on from there. So where do you start looking as far as a um, marriage is concerned? Well, back in the old days, and it's not that far back, a few years, before all these things went on to computer, it was the old books up at the uh, Family Record Centre or uh, St Catherine's House, or if you go back even further, you could be down at Somerset House. So therefore, if you wanted to narrow down the number of books, heavy books you were lifting to look for marriages, or if you want weightlifting training, then fine. How can I cut down the workload? William E. Darwin's the eldest child at age 41. So on that basis, 41 years before 1881, I would, I would start looking for a marriage from, say, 1840 and work backwards. Okay, yes, he's 41 and the parents are 72, which makes them in their 30s when he's born, so they could be older children. Checking an earlier census would perhaps help and cut down the amount of work done. But if we go back on to our old friend again, Free BMD, and we key in marriages there, select marriage, and Charles Darwin and Emma Wedgwood, and I'm hoping their marriage is going to fall within civil registration, which started in 1837. Um, September 1837 there to December 1841. And the question is, is the marriage there or not? And there we have March 1839, Charles Robert Darwin, registered in Newcastle under Lyme, volume 17, page 93. If you click on the page number, that will give you... Uh, who else is on the same page? Normally speaking, <coughs> there's two males and two females. Uh, there's two marriages on, uh, in a marriage register, or earlier, there could be three or four. This one may well be the last page in the book, because we've only got a male or a female, one male, one female. Or, this particular 1839 March quarter, the index isn't complete. Uh, you'd have to check on the coverage charts, there's, there's ways you can do that on your... So on that basis, again, I would say click on, if there was a pair of spectacles there, click on there, get into a digitised image of the page of the book before ordering to make sure the page number's right. Again, you can order by post or via the web website, the GRO website. And there we have the marriage certificate. Charles Robert Darwin, age, of full age, isn't uh, very useful. At that point in time, a full age would have been 21. As we move closer to now, of course, back last century, we were talking about 18. You could get married at 18 without parental consent. So a full age means they're 21 or over, which doesn't help you uh, quite often if you're, you know, wanting to find other documentation. He's a bachelor, she's a spinster, he's Master of Arts. He's living at the time of the marriage in St Pancras, London, which pre-computer sort of census days wouldn't have been very helpful to St Pancras, London, we would have had hundreds of thousands of people living there. So you imagine trying to, to find them on that, you'd have a heck of a job. And she's from Mayer in Staffordshire. Mayer in Staffordshire actually falls within Newcastle under Lyme registration. To say. She gets married in her own parish, hence what I was saying earlier about marrying in the bride's parish more often than not. Father's name, Robert Waring Darwin, Doctor of uh, Medicine. Father of Emma Wedgwood is Josiah Wedgwood, Esquire. The Wedgwoods are the pottery people. There's lots of connections between Darwin's and Wedgwoods. And another interesting thing on uh, marriage certificates could be 
married according to the rites and ceremonies of, and you've got the established church there, but that could say something like it could be of a nonconformist persuasion, the Baptists, the Methodists, or what have you. When I was doing my family tree, I discovered they, um, in the 1850s, a marriage of one of my uh, ancestors married according to the rites and the ceremonies of the Baptists, and I never, never knew they were Baptists. So that was a clue as to where to go for further back uh, for me. Josiah Wedgwood is a witness. It could be um, Emma's father, or it could also be Emma's brother. She had a brother called uh, Josiah. And then Susan Elizabeth Darwin. Who is Susan Elizabeth Darwin? Quite often they are members of the family, not always the case. Where do these two witnesses uh, fit in? Progressing this now, I left off with Wills earlier on the basis of finding out about Robert Waring Darwin being the father of Charles Robert Darwin. Okay, we don't know when Robert Waring Darwin dies, but with a name like Robert Waring Darwin, there's not going to be many of them around. Uh, as I said earlier, all our ancestors uh, pass on. Did they make a will or not? People will quite often say, oh, no, I come from a poor family. There's no way my ancestors would have made a wills. If you don't try, you don't get. And if you try, you may be pleasantly surprised. National Archives owes wills probated in the Progress Court of Canterbury. I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of it all. It's one of the two biggest courts in the land at that time. The other one was York. There were hundreds of other smaller courts um, connected with each county around the country and so on. Well worth a, worth a while trying to search to see if there's a will, especially in the case of, uh, say, maybe a well-to-do family like the Darwins. So it's www.nationalarchives.gov.uk and it's documents online. We've got over a million and 16,000 wills online um, from 1384 up to 1858. If you're searching them off-site, you would have to pay £3.50 to get in on each will, or you could save them up and pay us a visit and get to look at them free of charge and the only cost to you is actually downloading them here on site 20 pence a page Robert Waring Darwin as I say less is more don't bother filling too many boxes in you know I don't know a date at the moment anyway but if you did, did know a date and interestingly enough we come up with two Robert Waring Darwin of Elston in Nottinghamshire in 1817 and then a will of Robert Waring Darwin Doctor of Physics of Shrewsbury in Shropshire, 19th of December, 1848. They are connected, these two, uh, further back. But um, which one would you pick of those two? This one? Yes? So if you then uh, click on DC details, and then a few other buttons, you've got to pretend you're shopping in Sainsbury's or whatever, uh, check out and basket, uh, add to your basket, and all this sort of stuff. And... Um, that will in due course take you into the will. Now, wills are probably the most useful genealogical source you could find, even more useful than censuses and even birth, marriage and death. They're all important. But if you're lucky, it's possible you might find a will. And uh, um, it is known, I've never seen proof of this, that there was a will of this person who, within the will... They itemised every saucepan, knife, kettle and spoon they had and who in the family they wanted to have each of those items. And they put the name of the person and the relationship of that person to the person making the will. And you can build up a massive family tree with something like that if you're lucky enough. In the case of Robert Ware in Darwin, this first page of the will gives me the name of his wife. It tells me he's living in Shrewsbury, Shropshire. It mentions his late wife, Susanna. So we know Susanna Darwin has died before 1848, which is the date of this will. Did she make a will? So you can maybe investigate whether that's the case or not. Check maybe the Progress Code of Country, our PCC will index. It itemises all the children of Robert Waring Darwin and Susanna, and they are Erasmus Alvey Darwin, Charles Robert Darwin himself, Marianne, wife of Henry Parker. So Marianne Darwin marries Henry Parker. If you wanted to expand that tree and not just have the male line right through, find brothers and sisters and who they marry and all their children are to make your tree as big as you possibly can. You could be looking for the marriage of a Marianne Darwin and a Henry Parker and then look into whether they are children and then bring their lines forward. Another child, Caroline Sarah, 
wife of Josiah Wedgwood. So there's a Darwin-Wedgwood connection here. So Caroline and Sarah Darwin has married Josiah Wedgwood at some point. You could be looking into that. Did they have children? And so on. And here's one. Susan Elizabeth Darwin. So she's the sister of Charles Robert Darwin. Uh, and she's on um, Rob, um, Charles Robert Darwin's marriage certificate as a witness. So the sister was one of the witnesses. And finally, Emily Catherine Darwin. So you've got all the children there, or certainly were alive at the time. There may have been others who have died, of course, which wouldn't be mentioned here, who were alive at the time that Robert Waring Darwin actually made his will. Going on from wills, there's a genealogical source which is very underused, which I'm now going to come on to. There's a three-letter word with us. begins with a T, ends with an X, and it's got a letter in the middle, uh, which applies to us when we work, because we have to, on the money that we earn, pay tax. Also with our savings, you pay tax on that, unless you've got a nice set or whatever. Um, when you retire and you're earning a pension or your state pension comes into play, Mr. Inland Revenue again has to take his portion of tax. And likewise, not that you're worried so much because you've passed on anyway, when you've made a will, your estate and your money is liable to taxes, estate duties or death duties. And these documents, um, IR27, which is an Inland Revenue uh, record series, IR27s are the indexes to the death duties, estate duties, um, paid on wills where there was more than £5. We're going back a bit, so £5 is a lot of money then. Uh, before you get uh, the beneficiaries get hold of the estate and the money left by the deceased, Mr Inland Revenue has to take his portion. So IR27s for Robert um, Waring Darwin, Shrewsbury, Got the um, executor there, Erasmus A. Darwin, Park Street, Grosvenor Square. That could have been useful for a census search years ago, pre-online days. PC is Progniv Court of Canterbury, and then that's the folio number, which you need to go into on the IR26. I'll show you that in a minute. But what's useful about these is it tells you the courts in which the wills were probated. This one at the top here, Robert Daniel, his will was probated in the Consistory Court of Norwich. So you'd have to go to the appropriate archive to see that will. We've only got the ones with PC. Bear that one in mind. The other extremely useful thing about the death duty registers, this is the index, the IR26s of the registers, they will itemise and give you the distribution of the estate after the person has passed on. The will is the expressed desire of the person making the will and who they want their money, their property, etc. to go to. Once they then passed on, as far as um, estate and death duties are concerned, that will actually give you the distribution of the estate. Who got what once the will was probated? There is um, the IR26. And up the top in the left-hand corner there, you've got your folio 867. And then within 867 there, you've got Robert Waring Darwin. You can't see them very clear. I'm going to focus on this side in a moment. This one goes into all sorts of bonds and stuff he was into as parts of investments and so on. This one over here, as I'll show you, and I'll show you a closer version, goes into who has what, as far as the money and the property is concerned. Um, Susan Elizabeth Darwin at the top there, she gets the house. It talks about down house there. She gets the house. The, net, the other five children then got certain sums, um, Ranging from, and I'm sorry ladies, the, 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 the male's got the most, most unfair. Erasmus Alvey Darwin gets £20,776.30 and fourpence. But before he gets that, Mr Inland Revenue gets £207.15 and fourpence death duties. And then once that's been paid, Erasmus Alvey Darwin will actually get the remainder. Charles Robert Darwin gets £16,101.18 minus £161.4p. And the, the three girls, daughters, they get um, £10,388.6 shillings and eightpence, less than £103.17 shillings and eightpence. So they got a bit of a raw deal there. The girls didn't get as much as their brothers. And then down the bottom, Susan Elizabeth comes back into the equation, and then all six of them share £147,415.7 shillings and eightpence minus... £1,474.3 shillings death duties. And what's left is split 
equally amongst them. So we're talking about quite sizable sums here. We're talking about 1848, and most of us haven't got this much now, let alone in 1848, and probably never will have this much. Anyway, uh, being a, a curious uh, chap that I am, I wondered how much was all that worth, and it comes to 215,000, sorry, 215,458 pounds, 19 shillings and fourpence. And I thought, how much is that in today's prices? I'm glad you're sitting down. <laughs> Any guesses? I've only got the 2007 prices at the moment. The amount is £16,295,944.78. They didn't need to do the lottery or anything, did they, eh? Um, minus tax. Right, just before I finish, what has happened on this family tree is we've got the family line back to before 18... 37 now we're into parish register period pre-civil registration of births marriage and deaths so what we need to do at this point now is is take a trip to the appropriate county record office unless we can maybe see the parish registers or copy the parish registers somewhere else possibility could be the society of genealogists but you'd have to check their holdings but before you go there's a certain amount of work you could actually do online before you go which can save yourself a lot of time there is a website known as www.familysearch.org, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints website. And they have got masses and masses of parish and non-parish, non-parochial register entries on a database. What you do on there is click on advanced search. This is an old um, sort of homepage on there. Click on. What we're aiming to do here is before we go to Shrewsbury and Shropshire to look at the parish registers, we can save ourselves a heck of a lot of time by seeing if we can find birth baptisms christenings of Charles Darwin and maybe his brothers and sisters um, before we actually go down there. Reason being is, okay, on the basis of uh, information on Charles Darwin, it takes us back to him being born 1809, 1808, 1809, 1810 on the basis of ages on censuses, age, age on, on certificates and so on. If you click on the International Genealogical Index, this database has got births, marriages and deaths, mainly pre-1837 for England and Wales. It's got lots of other countries around the world, so you can go in and have a look what they've got for all sorts of other countries. Um, mainly pre-1837, but not exclusively. Sometimes you might not be able to find maybe a birth or a marriage among civil registration. It might be worth checking it out on there because there may be a church entry, church register entry being input by someone on this database. What this started out as was um, something that was compiled by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but was only um, data was input. Well, it wasn't even computer data, it was fiche and so on. Information input from family trees being compiled by members of the Latter-day Saints Church. And every entry that was uh, submitted was rigorous, rigorously checked. Over the last 30, 30, 40 years, there's been an absolute explosion of interest in family history research. I've been around quite a long time, 36 and a half years now, and um, I've seen the explosion. And as more and more people got interested in family history research, more and more people were submitting stuff to this website when it then came into being. And therefore, not everything that was submitted could be checked. So there's going to be errors on there because people have submitted information which has been incorrect information. So what I would say to you is, and I'll show you a case, as in the case of Charles Darwin, of a date that's wrong. Check out the original source if you can. I know it's all the way up in Shrewsbury. And uh, how do I get up there and all the rest of it? But I'll tell you, if you can possibly manage it, there's nothing more exciting. If you're doing your own family tree, of going away, staying in a guest house or a hotel, lavish meals, fine wine, and then doing family history. What could be better? My wife came with me when I did it, and she wasn't interested, but I got her engrossed by the end. We came back from there. She hasn't been interested since. <laughs> but uh, that doesn't matter. I got her going through church registers and all sorts of stuff. Charles Darwin. Enter first name, last name. Birth, christening. 1809, 1810. In there, plus or minus five years. Region, British Isles. Country, England. Now, you can put a county in, because you know he was born in Shrewsbury in Shropshire. If you click on that, you will end up with, in the case of Charles Darwin, 12, at least 12 entries. 
Uh, what it is is lots of different people have input information. We've even there got a Spanish version. Carlos Roberto Darwin. Okay, he's born in Shrewsbury, but how he's got Carlos Roberto Darwin, I don't know. I'm just going to pick one out. That's the one I'm going to pick out. It doesn't matter which one. Charles Robert Darwin, christening 15th of November, 1809, St. Chad in Shrewsbury. I'm going to show you what I mean by checking the original source, because that is wrong. If you click on the name there, then Charles Robert Darwin will take you into this. Charles Robert Darwin, birth 12th of February 1809. So on Thursday of this week, he'll be 200 years old. It's Darwin week, if you like. Christened on the 15th of November 1809 in St. Charles Shrewsbury. Father Robert Darwin, mother Susanna. Right, there is the original parish register. That does not say November the 15th. It says November the... 17th. Here's a closer version just to prove it to you. November the 17th is one down from November the 15th. They got the birth date right, February the 12th. So that's what I say to you. Everything you see on computer or whatever, check the original source if you can. If you can't get to Shrewsbury, pay someone to do it for you. Someone up there. Just going back, on the International Genealogical Index... Once you've found an entry of one of the children, and you know the father is Robert and the mother Susanna, you could find all the other brothers and sisters without even knowing their names. What you would do is, so we delete Charles from first name and Darwin from the last name. Over on the father column, you put Robert, last name Darwin, mother Susanna, birth or christening, where well, we know Charles Robert Darwin was 1809, so you could put 1809, the year range there, I would suggest you make it 20 years either side. Because that should cover, 40 years should cover. There's, the women don't produce children for 40 years, or correct me if I'm wrong. And then you could put British Isles, England and Shropshire, and then turn up all the results. And by clicking on each one, you can then find all the children to Charles Robert Darwin, uh, to Robert Waring Darwin and Susanna. And that would be your way of doing it. And that's without even knowing them. By getting all these dates, when you actually get to the county record office, rather than in the case of Charles Robert Darwin, because when you get the microfilms out there, you are going to start looking for a christening on the 1st of January 1809. If it's the main parish church, there'll be hundreds of them. They're uh, christening all the time. There's pages and pages and pages of them. So what you can do, wind on straight away to, uh, to November, find him on the 15th of November, you save yourself a lot of time. So preparation before you go. And likewise with all the other brothers and sisters. Note them all down, all the dates. And you can go straight to them and save yourself hours of work. Good old um, IGI, as they call it. And you can go into other countries as well. One, another thing I want to show you, just before we finish, is this whole area of whether your ancestor um, wasn't part of the established church or not. We're of a... Um, a non-conformist or non-parochial, which is non-parish persuasion. Now, I discovered my ancestors were um, were Baptists from a Baptist uh, from a, a marriage certificate. It may be you discover that when you're going through, you discover from a marriage certificate your ancestor is non-conformist. It may be that on the IGI, as we were just looking at it, by the side of the parish. Sometimes you could get um, the little two-letter, well, two-letter word, NC, non-conformist. That could be another little clue as well. Or sometimes the name of the church that's given, it might say, I don't know, in, let's just pretend in this, St. Chad Ebenezer. Now, that could well be a non-conformist, Ebenezer Chapel or something. So they could be little clues or what have you. The other thing, again, of course, is if you don't find it on the IGI, you may have to consider that perhaps they were non-conformists, even after trying parish registers. The non-conformist church registers that we hold, we owe about 5,000 of them, they're all online here as well. BMD registers is a website. can't remember it exactly off the top of my head, but if you ask outside, they can show you what it is. So if you don't find something, not everything's going to be on here, obviously. Totally impossible for it to be everything to be on the IGI, but it's certainly a good thing to, to start with. If you don't succeed on the IGI, 
I would suggest you try what is called a BIVRI, which is the British Isles Vital Records Index, um, which is available outside free of charge. But slightly digressing, coming back to nonconformists, the Darwins belonged to an independent chapel in Shrewsbury, and they were what are called Unitarians. And we have got uh, a church register, RG4, for that independent chapel in Shrewsbury. And there we have Catherine Emily Darwin, which is a sister of Charles Robert Darwin, and also the other sisters will be there as well. They are baptisms. Now, as far as the, the boys were concerned, um, Charles Robert and William Erasmus Darwin, they were christened in the parish church because then, I'll just read this out to you, there's a reason for it. What it says here is, Dr. Robert Waring Darwin, Charles Robert Darwin's father, was an active member of the congregation of the Independent Chapel in Shrewsbury. This is the actual register. Uh, we've got the microfilms here, we've got the originals here as well. And like most parents, he wanted the best for his children. But this is where he came up against a problem which must have confronted many others in his position. By the terms of the Test and Corporation Acts, which were in force until 1829, only those who had been baptised into the Church of England could hold public office or take up commissions as officers in the British Army or the Royal Navy. Most significantly for people in Dr Darwin's position, nonconformists were also barred from attending English universities. Darwin's pragmatic approach to his problem was to have his children baptised at the nearby Anglican Church of St Chad's. His four daughters were also baptised at the Independent Chapel, but he clearly saw that his son's future career choices could be seriously restricted by the very existence of a nonconformist baptism. The registers of the Shrewsbury Independent Chapel recording the baptisms of Charles Darwin's sisters form part of the huge collection of nonconformist registers held by the National Archives. The reference of this one is RG4-1818 and are now available online at, and the web address is here, www and then in uppercase BMD and R, it's www.bmdregisters.co.uk. So bmdregisters.co.uk, and you can search them online here free of charge. You're doing it at home, you will have to pay. Just a few more uh, slides. There is the wedding, uh, church wedding entry for Robert Waring Darwin, and his wife was. Susanna Wedgwood from the Marleybone Parish Registers obtained um, from the London Metropolitan Archives. He's of St Chad's in the town of Shrewsbury and she's from of this parish which is uh, up in Marleybone and they married in 1796. So you can probably find that on the IGI, go across to the London Metropolitan Archives and then get a copy from the microfilm. Once you've done all this, what I would suggest you do, and I'm the main culprit here, I have got at home, I have got software at home on my computer where I do people's family trees. Have I got my information on the computer software? No. Mine are on loads and loads and loads of pieces of paper. One day I'll get around to it. But when I was doing my family tree, there weren't computers doing, it was all hard slog altogether. Oh. But anyway... What you might want to consider doing is putting all the information onto software on the computer and then it prints out a nice family tree for you, something like this one, which is the Darwins and Wedgwoods. It goes back beyond what's here at the National Archives, but you would have to do further searching on it via things like um, the IGI, BIVRI and so on. What I want to do, just in closing, is if I may, I want to close in prayer because I will say to you, you may well want to utter this prayer sometime because you are guaranteed to get stuck with your family history research. Unless you can get your family line back to Adam and Eve, like Matthew Pinsent. Has anybody seen who do you think you are? And he's got his line back to Adam and Eve and back to God. Then unless you can get back that far, you are going to get stuck. So you may well want to utter this prayer. Don't read the last line until I finish reading it. This is a prayer you might want to, want to make. Lord, help me dig into the past and sift the sands of time that I might find the roots that made this family tree of mine. Lord, help me trace the ancient roads on which my fathers trod 
and led them through so many lands to find our present sod. Lord, help me find an ancient book or dusty manuscript that's safely hidden now away in some forgotten crypt. Lord, let it bridge the gap that haunts my soul when I can't find the missing link between some name that ends the same as mine. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. This event was recorded live on the 10th of February 2009 at the National Archives, Kew. This podcast is copyright the National Archives. All rights reserved. For more podcasts, please visit nationalarchives.gov.uk forward slash podcasts.